Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome. You know, if you've been listening to all eight years of Game Changers Radio, that's a code. I have two guests today. So let's see what the buzz is today. The convergence of cars and computers. Just let that sink in for a second. The convergence of cars and computers is blurring the traditional geographical boundaries of both industries. Silicon Valley is dotted with research labs opened by automakers and suppliers racing to develop high-tech infotainment systems and autonomous cars. Tech companies looking to grow and sensing an industry that's ripe for disruption are heading to Detroit to better understand the auto industry and get their software embedded in cars. Believe it or not, that is a quote from an article in the Associated Press written by Deanne Durbin back in August of 2015. And the title was High Tech Cars Bring Detroit and Silicon Valley face-to-face. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So let me give you a little more background. The automotive industry, as we know, is experiencing unprecedented change due to a couple of factors, innovative technologies, which were already mentioned in that quote, and changing consumer preferences. How do we want to drive? When do we want to drive? Where do we want to drive? What do we want to drive? All of that good stuff. It has to have touched all of our listeners around the world at some point. According to the Center for Automotive Research, known as CAR, in 2018, quote, future city transportation will be dominated by automated, connected, electric, and shared vehicles. And the acronym for that is ACES, A-C-E-S, Automated, Connected, Electric, and Shared. So what are the obstacles and the opportunities for U.S. automotive epicenters? We're calling them the epicenters, already identified in the quote, Detroit and Silicon Valley. What's on the road ahead, up the pike, down the road, whatever you want to call it. Welcome to season, I don't know what season, I think it's season five of the Future of Cars with Game Changers. So happy to be back. We're, we're thrilled that Judy Cubas at SAP has renewed the series. It's been with us for many, many years, and it's really important to have this information. I have two very special guests joining me on the show today. First up, I'll be welcoming Carla Bello, President and CEO of the Center for Automotive Research. I just quoted them above, C-A-R, welcoming Carla, first-timer on Game Changers Radio. And John Lenny is joining us. He is a strategic industry advisor at SAP, and he's been on the show before. So welcome to our panelists. And I have to do a quick shout-out to so many people who are excited about this episode. The Twitter stream is alive and flashing right now. We've had tweets going on for the past hour, getting excited. Uli Munch is there, and Karin Rombach, and Till Portner, and Rich Lindau, and Reiner Size and, and Mukund Rayo, and MSJ Raju. Judy Kubis is there. John Reichert is there. Jim Davis Auto is there. Hagen Huback is there. Adina Sewell is there, SAP Automotive. And we have somebody who works with Carla. We have Katie uh, Ramsberg is also tweeting. So thank you all for the excitement. So let's get the show started with first up, my special guest, Carla Bello, and Carla has sent us a three-word quote. It's iconic. It is formally believed that it comes from Peter Drucker, 
in his many years of coining terms like knowledge worker and the idea of management by, what was it, MBOs. But this is thought to be by Peter Drucker, and we're just going to leave it at that. The quote is, innovate or die. Oh, Carla, that's such a way to start a show. How are you, Carla Bello? I'm beautiful, despite the freezing rain and ice happening here in the Ann Arbor area. I'm sorry to hear about the freezing rain and ice. I have a friend who was trying to fly from New York to Florida for a two-week vacation, and he heard that they were going to have freezing ice and rain and snow, and he called the airline Mm -hmm. yesterday, and without an upcharge, Carla, they actually changed his flight from today to tomorrow, because if you say weather-related, they will change a flight at no upcharge. I didn't know that. So, yes, I'm here in Durham, and all it's just doing is raining, and it's going to be in the 60s today. I'm so sorry about that. So, Carla, welcome I love the quote, innovate or die. Is it that dire for automotive, for automotive and tech? Give us a little background on why you picked this quote, please, Carla. Yeah, in my view, it is, it's always been that way in terms of innovation. The automotive industry has always been bringing out new exciting products, new features and options, new infotainment. But now in this era, Really, we're in the greatest change ever, meaning the, the technology is growing at such a pace that if you're not innovating, if you're not doing things differently, and that includes all facets of the organization and product development, chances are you're going to be left behind. So there are just, there's just a plethora of, of things now that the automakers need to be looking at from electrification to, you know, hybrids to, uh, connectivity to autonomy, and all of these things are creating stress within the organization. And it, it, and it means you have to think of a, a new way to do business. It's no longer just developing vehicles, building them, and selling them to the dealer. It's much more than that. So this kind of innovation in thought, um, in product, is going to be required, plus you have all of the disruptive companies coming in now hoping for a piece of that business. And uh, you have to stay alert and continue to innovate and drive change. Thank you, Carla. And and I have a question for you. You have such a, a, a perch of looking at the industry. I know you've been in it for many years. It always intrigues me. Women in those levels, those those industries where we we still think of a guy under the hood of a car with a I don't know in a in a, a jumpsuit with a lot of grease. And I'm so happy to to see. I've heard so many women. We've had many women on this series. But my question is, is this breaking news for the automotive industry? Somebody tuning in today and saying, "Wow, Carla Balo at CAR is on Game Changers Radio. This is a big time. Wow, she knows what to innovate or die. She's telling me my company's going to die if I don't innovate." Do you think this is news for somebody, or are they very much aware? Is this keeping the CEOs and everybody in automotive awake at night, Carla? I think everybody in automotive knows this is coming. They've been seeing it for for several years, and that's why we're seeing the CEOs now saying, hey, we need to pull back spending on some of these things that we're spending money on so that we can put money in this new technology for autonomous vehicles, for electrification. Um, They see it. They see the headwinds that are coming. Plus, not only do they see it and they, they need to start doing things within their own company, but they're beginning more and more than ever to start forming partnerships, buying some startups, 
you know, merging with other companies, co-developing amongst themselves, things that are unprecedented really in the automotive industry. So, yes, the CEOs see it. They're reacting. Some are reacting faster and doing different things than others. But uh, it's coming, and it's a choice of either investing and strategically investing and making sure that you're very crystal clear on what is your brand identity, what is your focus in the future, because you can't do everything. So you really need to decide what that strategy is going to be and then lay that foundation and groundwork. And if you don't, you may likely either be out of business or you're just going to be supplying product to those who get it and get into the mobility services and the other new modes of multimodal modes of transportation. Thank you, Carla. Very well put. And and I'm going to move around the table to John Lenny. And and John has a different take on this. He has pulled out a quote from Walt Disney. So many quotable moments from Walt Disney. Uh, anybody who doesn't know the name, Walter Elias Disney, 1901 to 1966. He was an entrepreneur, animator. He's the creator of Mickey Mouse. He actually voiced Mickey Mouse. He started Disney Films. He started Disney with his brother. He just started out taking art classes when he was a kid. And he set up Disney Studios, brother studio actually, with his brother Roy. And Mickey Mouse was created in 1928. So I don't know what anniversary he's having last year. I don't know what that was. Uh, 100, 110? Yes, 110. Anyway, happy birthday, Mickey. This is a quote that's going to change the tone of our conversation just a little bit. And I'm so glad you picked it, John. The quote from Walt Disney is, it's fun to do the impossible. So, John, we've just had Innovator die, courtesy of Carla Bailo, <laughs> courtesy of Peter Drucker. And there's also a book that's out called Innovative or Die. And now you're saying it's fun to do the impossible. So, John, help me level set. What does this have to do with automotive? And welcome. Well, good morning, Bonnie. Good morning, Carla. Um, yeah, this one I, is, I pulled this out because it's a personal take for me. Um, and I think it applies uh, more broadly than just myself. But, you know, I've been around uh, the auto industry for quite a few years, more than, more than I'd like to mention. But I feel like with all of the change that, uh, that Carla aptly described going on, mm-hmm. it's really a fun time to be in the industry. Um, there's, uh, uncertainty for sure. Uh, there is, um, change for sure, but it's really exciting to think about, uh, the electrification, the self-driving vehicles and all the challenges. Many might say even a few years ago, oh, that's impossible. We'll never see that, but it's really fun to, uh, to work in this industry. I think we're attracting a lot of, um, talent to the industry because of that. And so, you know, I, I think the uh, current environment and for the next uh, foreseeable number of years is really exciting and fun. And, you know, um, while it may not be impossible, maybe the real challenge is making the impossible possible. And uh, so I'm, I'm having a blast personally, and uh, I think there's a lot of excitement uh, in the industry despite all of the, the challenges that, uh, that Carla mentioned. Thank you. And, and it's good to juxtapose the two ideas, excitement and impossible and fun with, with the innovator die. And, and uh, Carla, I, I think we have to say that the concept of innovation can be fun, even if it's in an industry that's basically up against the wall if it doesn't move on. Would you agree with that? Is there fun in the spirit of the people who are developing all this new technology, the people from Detroit who are visiting Silicon Valley and the Silicon Valley folks who are visiting Detroit and saying, hey, maybe this is a marriage made in heaven. Do you think they're having fun? fun yet yet carla 
Oh, I do believe it. You know, for mm-hmm. I'm an engineer, and we love to, you know, find great solutions and in, invent many different things. So it's really an engineer's joy right now to be anywhere in the automotive industry, be it in Silicon Valley or in Detroit. So, yes, it, it's fun. It's challenging. It's stressful, of course, but mm-hmm. and, it, and, it's, and, it, it, and it creates... You know, really, you've got to embrace risk, and the automotive companies haven't been real good at embracing risk over the years, but now they are, and and they have to. So it's creating a whole new atmosphere, which, yeah, it's fun. It's really one of the best times ever to be in the industry. I'm glad to know that. And and one question is, do you think that the concept of autonomous cars, it, it sounds, it's it conjures up, well, first of all, it's been in, in movies for a while, but conjures up the idea of robots and cars that have a mind of their own. And, and I read a thriller novel about two years ago. Somebody wrote about an autonomous car that was being controlled by people with evil thoughts, menacing ideas, <laughs> and they were driving the car over the side of the bridge with the CEO of this company, and he and his family perished. <laughs> But the car was always programmed to take him right home to his lake house. But that night on the bridge, the car went over the side because somebody tampered with the algorithm. So do you think that that's part of the intrigue and the fun? I'll ask Carla first and then John. Do you think that 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 concept of, wow, we never even dreamed this is possible, and now it's right there, almost on a road near us. What do you think, Carla? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I grew up in the era of the Jetsons, so I always <laughs> believed we'd have flying cars. But you yes. know, even George had a joystick. You know, he was still driving himself. So this is even a step beyond the Jetsons. So I think we all have to remember that, yes, the algorithms are very complex. And, no, we haven't begun to figure out every every aspect that needs to be programmed and thought about. I mean, if you think about it, we only know about 12% of what the human brain does, and we're trying to program much more than that, including intuition into these cars. And cyber is a big part of it, protecting the car from, from hackers, from those who may try to control the algorithms and the code. So there are lots of things we have yet to crack, but, um, you know, the technology is advancing so rapidly, the artificial intelligence and the capability of machine learning going into these algorithms just continues to improve. Every case that a Google car encounters, for example, is automatically put into the, the algorithms and the programming. Mm. So there, there are many headwinds, but in general, the technology is there. The sensing technology is there. The replication of, let's say, you know, uh, fish swimming in, in, in schools or birds flying in formation. You know, we need to replicate that kind of sensory performance and, and be able to do that on a, on a repeatable basis um, on the city streets and then, of course, protect that data. So it's coming. There's a lot more that needs to be done. There's a lot more that needs to be done in public policy, insurance, liability Mm -hmm. that I don't even have time to begin to talk about. But it's coming, and it will definitely help save lives and save lives and provide independence for people who have lost their independence or maybe have never had independence. So yes. the, the benefits that for society are, are huge, and um, that's, that's what keeps propelling us to continue down this path. 
That's what that's what the innovation is all about. John Lenny, love to get your thoughts on everything I just discussed with Carla, and then we'll go to our up close and personal segment where I find out where you are, what you love to drink, and and what your specific roles are. But John, any thoughts on the juxtaposition, the fun, the excitement, the passion, embracing what the human brain can do, and putting some of it, as Carla said, programming intuition into cars. Your thoughts, John? Yeah, I spend. Uh, uh a fair amount of my time working with some of the startup companies. And uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of young, um, it, it's part of the fun thing for me, but um, you know, the passion, the energy, um, working with uh, a lot of young, really brilliant people. And one of the things I've got into a discussion once with a, with a group of uh, technologists and, and I kept uh, challenging them a little bit on, well, how would a car know uh, that, um, there's black ice on the road. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting to me is every time I brought uh, a situation like that, they say, well, how does a human know that? Um, and the idea, what they were basically telling me is if a human being can learn how to drive um, the machine learning technologies and the artificial intelligence technologies can teach the car. And it was kind of an interesting discussion because they were just so energetic and passionate behind the concept that yes, we can do this. As Carla pointed out, uh, we're not um, com- we're not there yet, and there's a lot of challenges ahead of us. But um, when you have as many people and as much um, investment, uh, let me say, going into this, it's only a matter of time. Uh, one of the quotes I almost put in was a quote from Voltaire, because I thought it kind of related to the Walt Disney quote, and that was, you know, no problem can withstand the onslaught of sustained thinking. And I kind of think that's the way it is with some of this, uh, whether it's the electrification technology and the challenges uh, that that exposes for going all electric and the infrastructure in the city and the public sector challenges there, or the technology for completely autonomous uh, self-driving vehicles, um, you know, those problems will not withstand the onslaught of sustained thinking by a lot of really smart, brilliant, energetic, and passionate people around the world. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's uh, all in front of us. Thank you very much. Good, good insights. I'm doing this a little bit differently because I just have the two of you, and I, I really want to pick your brains. I know that our listeners around the world, Carla, Everybody loves to talk about cars. Everybody loves to think about cars. And perhaps at the end of the show, I'll ask you, I won't ask you now, and, and John, would you give up your opportunity to own the keys to your own car in the shared economy, in the uh, let's park it somewhere and somebody else will use it for two hours and we'll, we'll subscribe. We'll talk about the subscription economy in terms of cars later on, but that's something to keep in mind. So Carla Bello, love to get to know you a little bit better, and we already know you're very smart, committed, and passionate to what you do. So three questions. Where in the world are you today, please, Carla? Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you? Number three, I typically ask, what do you do? What is your role? But I also want to know, how did you get into the automotive field? So let's make that a, a double double comment in the third part of the question. <laughs> Go ahead, Carla. Okay. I am in Ann Arbor, Michigan today. I think I mentioned we're in the yes. throes of an ice storm. So um, I would have loved to have seen how an autonomous car would have done this morning on the roads I traverse getting in. Um, the drink that keeps me going all day is uh, typically Perrier, Perrier water, flavored or not flavored, usually mm. not flavored. 
Um, and then uh, many times uh, I enjoy a nice glass of wine. I have a wine cellar that holds over 3,000 bottles, and I'm just beginning my, my collection. I have a lot of space left, so it's pretty fun. Um, why did I get into automotive? I grew up in Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. I actually was born very near the, um, the bomber plant where my grandmother was a Rosie the Riveter back in World War II. Wow. Um, my grandparents on both sides were, uh, one was a tool and die, one was a sweeper in the Ford plant. My father was a tool and die in automotive, and I just... From the time I was a kid, I saw cars as just a passion. I would look at a car and I would think it had a certain personality, you know, depending on what its face looked like or depending on what its profile looked like. Um, It just was always a passion. So uh, when I had the opportunity to, uh, I went to school at General Motors Institute, studied engineering. Um, It just, it just, I just went that path and never looked back. Um, it was very funny, though, when I was going to go into mechanical engineering, all my mother's friends said, oh, good God, why does she want to do that? She's going to work in dirty, greasy stuff all the time, <laughs> yep. and it just sounds horrible, you know, but that's not what an engineer does. People don't understand what an engineer does, and I did spend a lot of time under a hood and under a, you know, under a car on a hoist. You have to. You have to know the product, and and understand how it works. But I started in ride and handling and, uh, you know, got the joy of driving. And I just, it's, I've never looked back from there. And then when I think about, oh, you're going to get into giving up the keys later. So I'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, what a great family history. What a, what a long line. And you did bring up the idea of, yes, it's going to be greasy. <laughs> There's a, a lot of fun. people find that very appealing and many sides of, of the wrench and, and the grease, I suppose. Thank you, Carla. Just wonderful. We are so, so pleased to have you on. Tell me, when did the Center for Automotive Research start? Where, where did the organization start and who started it? Well, the center was actually started by Dave Cole, who's a fairly uh, famous person in the automotive industry, and it was started as a part of the University of Michigan um, and spun off as an independent nonprofit organization in 2003. So we've only been in business now for 15 years, and our whole mission is to um, do research to promote the sustainability of the automotive and mobility industry. Um, so, you know, everything we do is for the good of, of the, the industry on a global level. Thank you very much, and it definitely is global. Very exciting. I, I, I'm sitting on the edge of my chair learning from you and from John today. This is just a fascinating topic. Thank you, Carla. John Lenny, let's catch up with you. Where are you today? What do you love to drink, flavored or not? And what is your, what, what's new with you since the last time we spoke, which was, I think, a couple months ago last year? Go ahead, John. Yeah, so I'm in the uh, windy city of Chicago today, and mm-hmm. uh, like Carla, I'm uh, looking out the window of my office and seeing ice-covered trees and floppy wet uh, roads and a gray day, so yep, uh, hopefully the weather will get a little bit better as the day goes on. Uh, for me, my uh, during the day, I should say my power drink is strong black coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. I try not to drink too much of it, but, 
usually fuels me for at least half the day. And uh, occasionally I uh, have been sampling uh, uh, Kentucky bourbons more recently in mm. my uh, free time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, I think last time I was, I told you I was uh, uh, looking at an Armenian brandy uh, that, that was quite nice as well. But, um, yeah, so I've been, uh, so what have I been doing since last we talked, Bonnie, is mm-hmm. uh, uh, more of the same. I'm working uh, across the industry with my colleagues in SAP, uh, focusing on, you know, what's shaping the industry, what are the trends emerging in future, and uh, what are the implications of that for our customers, and how can uh, SAP, with what we do and the technology we develop, uh, uh, help in uh, our customers' brave uh, or conquer this brave new world of, uh, that we're talking about today. So, yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's been a lot of fun for me um, and uh, meeting and talking with people in the industry about the challenges, uh, the uh, changing business models, the changing technology, how do they deal with that, how do they react to it. It's, uh, it's really been uh, quite a journey. So... Uh, onward we go. And it promises to continue to be quite a journey. Well, Carla, you don't know me. John knows me a little bit. Uh, I'm in Durham, North Carolina, relocated here a year and a half ago from Long Island, New York, where I was for 32 years. And I grew up three miles from where I was in Great Neck, New York. So I came, went around the country, lived around the country, and then came back to New York. And now, for some reason, I found Mm -hmm. myself in the South in hopes of a warm winter. We've already had Mm -hmm. enough snow in one weekend in, I think, early December to match an entire season's worth of snow. So, so much for the warm. It bounces here between 17 degrees in the morning and sometimes 80 degrees in the afternoon. Welcome to the South, Bonnie. Wow. They don't let me have any caffeinated beverages on radio show days, Carlin. Today I have shows one hour apart, another live show an hour after we're done. So all I'm allowed to drink is water, and I think you can figure out why. Enough caffeine in the system here. And uh, I'll talk about what I drive later, and that's about all I'm going to say. So I just want to give my panelists a quick break to take a sip of something, but I think we'll save the bourbon for later, Mr. Lenny. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers Radio. This is Season 2019. 19, episode number one. We're thrilled to be back. And our episode technically is called Cars, Bridging Detroit in Silicon Valley. When you bring the automotive industry to the technology industry and you put them together, is it a match made in heaven? It probably will. Are there profits to be made? Yes. Are there new business models to be embraced? Yes. Is there excitement? Yes. But are they up against that proverbial wall of innovator die? Absolutely yes. Courtesy of a Peter Drucker quote shared with us by Carla Bello. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with so much more fascinating conversation with Carla Bello at CAR, Center for Automotive Research, and John Lenny at SAP. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. If you're driving somewhere, don't go too far. <laughs> okay, Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. 
We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. Season 5 2019 debut. We're talking about cars, bridging Detroit and Silicon Valley with my two very special, very smart guests, Carla Bello at CAR Center for Automotive Research and John Lenny. If you're looking up John, it's L-E-N-E-Y, just one N, pronounced Lenny at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Carla Bello is going to start us off on the roundtable. And here's what she told me in her notes before the show. Listen up, everyone, and then Carla will chat about this, and then we'll see what John has to say. Carla says, Detroit and the OEMs must start to act more like Silicon Valley in terms of risk and failure. Carla, I'm just going to let you take it from there. Please tell us more. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the biggest cosmic shifts in thinking in the automotive industry or the the typical OEMs today. Um, let's just take a typical vehicle development program. Trust me, as an engineer, if you have a failure, if you have a problem with a component that you're designing, it is painful. It's painful. You have to explain many, many times. You have to re- create a recovery program because delaying SOP is never an option or it's not a pleasant option because that's just everyday SOP, start a production gets mm-hmm. delayed, basically dollars are just kind of bleeding out of the company. So it's very painful. But, you know, the, the startup companies, on the other hand, they try things, they fail fast, they learn from failing, and then those learnings go back into what could be a success. And they may fail 10 times or more before they have a success. And that's okay. Failure is celebrated. It's rewarded. You tried. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we learned, and we're going to make something fabulous. And this is a whole new way of thinking. So many OEMs have tried to put innovative teams within their current culture. And they may have three or four great ideas, but then they get put into the machine, the product development machine. And those ideas just get killed because the risk elements come in, the development timing gets put in. And by the time you put all that surrounding existing infrastructure into that innovation, it dies. So changing the way the engine rotates is really important and allowing these fast pilots that try and and fail. For example, Ford Chariot, they just closed it. They tried. They learned from it. Was it a failure? No, although people are saying it's a failure. No, they learned from it. And then the next time they do some sort of a ride-sharing service, it'll be better. But Mm -hmm. it's a whole new way of thinking. 
and really it has to it has to be part of the the company culture and it has to be accepted, rewarded, recognized and followed through. Part of the company culture. Is this something that's ingrained in the longtime people in the industry, Carla? I'm going to go to John in a second, but just wondering, when we talk about culture, we're talking about people. We're talking about, quote, unquote, the way it's always been done. We talk about yep. the squeaky wheel gets the grease and, and no, no pun about the wheels of the car. But is this something that people are saying, yeah, we'll have a different mindset? Are you serious? What are they saying? Well, this is this is the really interesting dichotomy that exists today. Yes, you've got the old guard. Let's say it is mm-hmm. this is a group of people that are making the products that are driving the the profits that are allowing, yep. you know, these innovative uh branches to be developed. So all the people on that side of the company are saying, huh, risk, you know, it's not allowed. We have to get these products out the door. We got, we're the ones making things happen and we're making the money. And then on the other side, you have the new mobility services divisions or departments that have been started and they're out in what the people in the regular side of the business are saying out in La La Land and they're doing their thing. And when these two ways of thinking converge is going to be a really interesting moment for the automotives and those that can smoothly merge these two facets and way of thinking and then make it a predominant way in the new culture of of the business that risk is okay and failure is okay, that is really going to be an interesting convergence. And no, they're not all thinking that way today, and that's what makes it so much fun Mm -hmm. to see these two sides begin to interact. Thank you. John Lenny, a lot on the table here. Talk to us about the mindset, about the new guard, old guard. What do you see? Yeah, I I see a lot of uh, similarities with what Carla said. The the convergence in the industry of the technology uh, companies, software companies coming into the uh, traditional ecosystem, telecommunications companies, information brokers. These are all different players that if I drew you an automotive ecosystem uh, map even 10 years ago, you would see a traditional OEM supplier, you know, parts-oriented, you know, manufacturing product development environment. But the way that these newer companies operate is much higher cycle, uh, mm-hmm. in what I would call higher cycle, than the traditional um, automotive uh, OEM or automotive supplier. Uh, the cycle times, you know, to develop and a new vehicle, you know, we've been trying for for decades to drive cycle times down with some success, but they're still on the order of years to bring an all-new vehicle out in the traditional world, whereas the telecommunication companies, the high-tech companies are, are bringing brand-new product out on the order of months. Um, when it comes to software, it can be even faster. So you're getting this convergence of these two um, cultures, uh, two cycle times, and as Carla pointed out, the, the traditional uh, OEM uh, world or vehicle manufacturer world uh, will have to adapt to that. Um, these newer companies will, if they're not coming up with innovative new business models and adapting to bringing new advanced technology out uh, quicker, um, faster, and, uh, you know, up, updatable, let me say, then... Uh, they will, they will uh, back to the opening of the show, uh, you know, face a very uncertain future or even die. 
Yeah. I think about, uh, you know, if you think about uh, a vehicle, I, I just bought my wife a new vehicle. And uh, in as we were shopping around, one of the things we were looking at is when was this vehicle introduced? And mm-hmm. we looked at one uh, manufacturer's ah. model and said, this, this vehicle came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. But the new, this company B had a new vehicle that was all brand new in 2019. And the state of technology, I thought, in this vehicle, the 2015 vehicle was probably circa 2010 or 2011 technology that was not so updatable. And so mm-hmm. when you think about that, you know, uh, it, it's very restrictive to, say, traditional customers to say, I'm going to buy a vehicle in 2018 that has technology that's fairly hard-coded into that vehicle from, you know, nearly a decade ago. So I think the the point there is that, you know, we have to get, the industry will have to get as we emerge into the brave new world, a lot more uh, flexible and adaptive to be able to integrate new technology, update it on the fly, and create, uh, you know, a a longer-lasting relationship with their customers over the you know, over the lifetime of the uh, the uh, ownership experience. Interesting, Carl. Anything you want to say back to John? I'm ready to move to something in his notes here, but I'm going to give you a yeah. chance to go ahead, Carla. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm so happy you brought up that shopping experience because it's the consumer and the consumer's expectations that are going to drive a lot of this change. And our consumer today, especially the younger customer, they're used to. They're cell phones that are just continually updated with the latest technology, and they're not going to be satisfied with, hey, wait for minor change or wait five years for the next model. You know, this is just not going to be how it's going to, how it's going to progress. They're going to expect, you know, updates within 12 months. So, you know, the vehicle life cycle, which is five years today, could easily go to 12 to 18 months, which creates an entirely different development process for the automotive manufacturers and a totally different way of building the car, designing the car, and making it able to be very easily updated. Um, if you think about how the mm-hmm. airline industry works, the shell lasts a long, long time, but the interior and the and the infotainment, et cetera, can be updated to keep that that product um, updated and alive. We're going to have to see a lot more of that over the air updates. The, the an interesting fact, and then I'll be quiet. Um, no, you don't have to be quiet. Keep talking. Today, I, I'm really enjoying today, this. Today, about 25 percent of people that go into a dealership to purchase a vehicle, do not test drive that vehicle. They don't hmm. care. They do what? care if their phone connects, if it has Apple what? CarPlay or Google Play, but they don't even sit in the car and drive. They've done their research online. That's what they're going to get, and they don't care about driving it. Carla, are you serious? I, I can't serious. even, I cannot, Im- I grew up in the Jetsons area too. I cannot imagine. I, I'll just give you a little sidebar here. I, I drive a certain type of a car and I'm here in Durham and my car was saying, 
my car was saying to me, hey, Bonnie, I love you very much, but you're doing 75 to 80 on a normal basis on 40 and 540 in the Raleigh-Durham area. And we didn't do that on the LIE in New York. So I'm kind of tired. I don't think I want to go that fast all the time. So my car said to me, maybe it's time. So I found the car. I didn't know the car of my dreams. I didn't know I was dreaming about it. I found it online, Carla and John. And I immediately, it was on Carfax or CarMax, one of those. I'd never bought a car that way. I had to be within mm-hmm. distance that I could go, even if somebody brought me in case I I bought the car that day and drove back. One was five hours away. I said, well, that's, you know, I'll find somebody who wants to go for a five-hour drive with me. I'm willing to go to see the car physically. So I hit the reply button or whatever it was, and I sent a message to the dealer. Have great trade-in have cash, want to see car, please contact me. Well, I got an auto response. Thank you for your note. We will get in touch with you. Looking forward to meeting you. Blah, blah, blah. A day went by. Mm. Two days went by. Three mm-hmm. days went by. A week went by. Two weeks went by. Finally, I was so annoyed. <laughs> I picked up the phone early in the morning and I called and I got this very charming gentleman with a wonderful southern accent. He says, how? What can I do for you? I'm not going to pretend to do the accent. Sorry about that. And I said, listen, I told you I have cash. I have a great trade in. I was ready to buy that car. He said, oh, we had some lady who was interested in it and she put a deposit. They never take deposits. I know that's true. And she put a deposit and she couldn't make up her mind and we sold it to her. I said, seriously, I would have been there in 24 hours with a check, good for cash, and a beautiful trade-in. And he said, well, mm-hmm. we'll make you our number one priority, and we'll go looking for that car for you, and we'll find it for you. We'll do everything we can. Mm-hmm. Did you? Would you have believed him, Carla, John? No, <laughs> no, no. Well, so You know, people like going to the dealer less than they like going to the dentist. If you saw the, <laughs> the Super Bowl ad, you saw where the dental root canal was one of the floors on the way to the no-haggle dealership. And what you've just explained is why. <laughs> so anyway, I went back on CarMax or Carfax, and I found the identical car for a couple of thousand less with 10,000 fewer miles in a dealer 25 minutes away. And I called them. I got their number, and I said, do not sell that car. I'll be there. It's five, 4 o'clock today. I'll be there at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning with my checkbook. That's my car. Don't give it to anybody else. And I went the next day, and they were texting me, how close are you? I'm, I'm, I'm a mile away. I'm getting there. I'm using my GPS. I went with a friend, made a deal, and I told them I'm coming back with the rest of the money the next day. And I said, I want a huge red Christmas bow on the hood of that car when I come to pick it up. That's going to seal the deal. That's how I experience car buying, Carla and John. I I need that experience. I, I designed the experience. Mm-hmm. And I went to the dealer, and it was a beautiful sunny day, and this young salesman is out front, and he's pointing to the car, and there's this humongous TV-sized red bow. I said, can I take the bow? He said, no, that belongs to our Christmas tree department. But you can take the car. And so that was my experience. So it worked out. But look at what I had to do, the customer experience. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Carla. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you had to, you had to basically tell them what you wanted and what you yeah. expected, and you know this this is not how a customer service organization should be should be Thank you. working. Thank and the you. dealers are seeing this disruption coming as well, and very concerned about it and what it means for their sustainability in the future. 
and really beginning to think about this customer experience because you know, today's customer is, is a different breed, and they're not going to put up with the usual way of nope. doing things. They don't have to. There's too many other choices. That's right. We have choices. So, you know what? We still have John. Did you want to say something? I hear you. John Lenny, go no, ahead. I was going to say, uh, yeah, I was going to say the customer experience part, I think, is, is another one of these uh, um, changing business models. The traditional, mm-hmm. I buy a car, I go to the dealer, and, you know, uh, you know, three or four years later, I come back and buy another car is mm-hmm. another one of these models that will undergo radical transformation or will need to because... Um, both from the from the uh, car manufacturers who want to maintain a more uh, cust- intimate customer experience and maintain that through the life of the ownership experience uh, to the next purchase, right? But also the customer experience for different mobility models, whether it's ride sharing or subscription models or even the way you purchase it. Uh, Carla mentioned, you know, going to a dealer, you know, a dealership in a traditional mode is is not a pleasant experience for most people. No. Um, and it doesn't matter how much coffee they offer you and whether they have <laughs> nice leather couches in the dealership. Uh, you know, you go there, you want, you know, you want to pay, uh, you pick your vehicle up, you want it to be ready to go. And, uh, you know, it's just not quite there yet, in my opinion. That's another model that will be um be transformed i think uh and and there will be money uh to be made by these mobility companies if they can figure out how to maintain that uh customer experience for life uh model that um other companies and other industries have have kind of figured out uh yes you know apple is apple is one that comes to mind right they kind of maintain that uh, customer experience and you know, right. people line up to get the new to get the new uh, phone or the new iPad or whatever it is every every year when they come out with a new one and they're maintaining that customer loyalty and experience in a lifelong way and I think that'll be more and more the mode that uh, we'll see in transportation and mobility. We would hope. Now, we have a little more time left. John, I want to pick up one of your statements here. First of all, I've just tweeted, economically, Detroit is experiencing a renaissance and becoming a hotbed of tech startup companies. Do you want to talk about that, or do you want to go into the safety, environment, regulations, connectivity, and mobility driving convergence of high tech, et cetera? John, I'm going to give you a choice. We have time for just one more topic. Well, let's talk about the, the uh, Detroit a little bit. Good. Because I think it's... Uh, it is a, uh, in my mind, an evolving success story for the city and the region um, to be on kind of the comeback trail. There were some really, really painful years uh, at the end, uh, 2008, 2009, with bankruptcies and the future of some of iconic automotive companies in doubt. And you know, while that, um, while that medicine was quite painful, um, I think it helped uh, these companies come back. Um, with a healthier balance sheet and so on uh, from a from a company perspective. But the region itself is kind of making a resurgence, and it's becoming, um, you know, kind of a, a hotbed for, you know, new tech startups. And they're doing a lot to attract those kinds of companies into, into the region. I mean, Detroit clearly sees itself, Southeast Michigan, as the transportation mm-hmm. uh, capital of the world. And in this new world, want to maintain that position and not be just the guys who make the, 
you know, manufacture the cars themselves, but really are the, the hotbed of that. And I think uh, it's been a convergence of, you know, the public sector working with the private sector. Uh, the city itself has been fa- uh, benefited from a couple of rather um, influential local people who have made investments in the infrastructure of the city in the area to make that possible. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like the industry itself. If you're in Detroit, it's kind of an exciting place to be right now. There's a lot of uh, 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 good vibe there, a lot of energy, a lot of action in the city. Uh, and I think it's a, a good example of, you know, the, the industry and the public sector working together and, you know, kind of positioning themselves to be leaders in this next generation of uh, mobility. Thank you. Carla, any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Detroit Detroit region and the entire state of Michigan kind of lives in in. in dies with the automotive industry. We're used to these cycles. We've been through them, the highs and the lows. And here we're facing, you know, another what seems to be a downturn in in the sales again. And the interesting thing that's happening this time, unlike what happened in the last recession, is the automakers are thinking far in advance. And they they didn't go through the over-hiring and over-producing, you know, we'll just keep doing things as normal and hope things come back. I mean, they're really being much more diligent about the way they're, they're looking at, at this downturn and thinking about their investments. And then the whole region is beginning to think much more of, of the ecosystem of mobility versus just, you know, making cars and, and, you know, getting a higher number and selling those cars. But it's really about how can we create a, a testing and mobility environment that will bring in you know, the startups and the innovators and all of the pieces that we need to indeed create the product of the future, those mobility services um, you know, the state of Michigan recently gave out about seven, um, not not real high grants, but enough grants to do something for companies that are interested in working with the elderly and providing mobility solutions for the elderly or for persons with disabilities. Seven different pilots. So creating the the funding is is highly important. Creating that ecosystem of encouraging the different pilots and and the different companies to come here, offering the right incentives for those along with the supporting network is critical. And this is how Detroit in totality, rather than just relying on the the automakers, but indeed creating that private-public partnership way of doing business, you know, is really evolving and attracting these new businesses to come into the area. Thank you, Carla. We are technically halfway through our predictions round. I've got three and a half minutes to close the show, and I think we just did a little predicting, but I'm going to formally say, Carla Bela, look into the crystal ball, and let's get a 60-second prediction on what will happen between five minutes after we're off the air, and I'm going to make it really short, December 31st, 2020, which is not that far away. Any major changes you see, Carla? I see huge changes coming, even in that short amount of time. We're going to start seeing electrification take hold. 
not necessarily in in the state so much, but looking at what's happening globally in China and in Europe, it will just continue to, to boom. And we haven't talked too much about electrification. In terms of connectivity, you're going to probably have 30%, if not more, of vehicles that have the ability to communicate with each other and with the infrastructure, and if not more, because it's really starting to, to be put in place. And then for autonomy, we are going to start to see by the end of next year very dense urban areas that you will have zones for autonomous and multimodality um, where you will only be able to have autonomous vehicles driving around. If you're trying to drive a vehicle, you won't be permitted in. Um, it's the only way that we're going to improve the congestion and really promote cities where people want to live and thrive. Thank you, Carla. And one quick question. Are you giving up the keys to whatever you're driving anytime soon and going to a shared or subscription model? Yes or no? Where I'm in an area now with a walkability factor of one out of a hundred. So I'm probably not going to be doing that, but I'll tell you what, I lived in a city previous to here with a hundred percent walkability factor and my car sat in the garage a lot. As soon as I have all the, all the seamless ways to get around that I can throw away the keys. I'm ready to do it. There you go. Thank you, John Lenny. 60 <laughs> seconds. That's all I've got. Prediction. Go ahead. And what about the keys? Go ahead, John. Well, so I, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of change uh, over the next 18 months. The, the, as Carla mentioned, we'll see more and more electric vehicles on the roads. I think the, uh, the autonomous piece is coming faster, mostly in fleets. I was just reading another article this morning, one more uh, small uh, food delivery autonomous fleet service that got a billion dollars invested by SoftBank to scale. Mm. So you're going to see more and more of those things in the next 18 months. Um, the uh, Giving up the keys to the car, I will uh, happily do that. Um, and I'm downsizing, in my case, downsizing and uh, um, getting rid of uh, vehicles that I don't need anymore. But... Um, in the until the alternative mobility ride sharing becomes almost as ubiquitous as my on-demand vehicle, I'll hold on to my keys for a little bit longer. Thank you very much. And I'm on my fifth Z. I had the 1979, the 83, the 96, the 2008, and I'm now driving a 2015 Pearl White with a red rag top. And it is just a wonderful car for doing 80 on 40 and 540 here in the Raleigh Durham area. I'm not giving up my keys anytime soon. What can I tell you? You can put the, put the dots together. Carla Bello, it's such a privilege to meet you, Carla. You were wonderful. John Lenny, always, always smart and, and in involved in the conversation and bring so much to the table. And I have to do a shout out to Judy Cubas. Thank you so much for renewing this series. It's so important to our Game Changers mix. And Miranda Labate, always helpful and always putting these shows together. Thank you so much, both ladies. Shout out to Aaron Keller, our engineer at the Business Channel team on voiceamerica.com. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. How appropriate for a show about cars. What are you waiting for? Go out and drive. And be a game changer today, just like Carla Bello at CAR, Center for Automotive Research, and just like John Lenny at SAP. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, 
Tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.